everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Okay, guys, welcome back with another Turbo. We've been doing a little bit of a series lately looking at um, some kind of nitty-gritty aspects of vascular access and specifically central line placement. We talked about guide wires. We talked about dilation. I guess we're kind of working our way backwards because I want to talk today about what many people will consider the most important or maybe the most challenging skill, which is actually wielding your needle and accessing the vessel. So we're going to get into a few things. Some of them uh, will probably seem obvious, but I feel like must be said uh, and certainly important for beginners. And then some things that are some more subtle aspects that may be new to you. So I feel like we have to start with understanding the core concept of how to guide a needle into a vessel using ultrasound. Of course, if you're not using ultrasound guidance, it's a whole other ballgame, but more and more that is what we're doing. So the way that you do this is either by lining up your probe in line with your needle and also in line with your vessel, so everything in the same plane, and then following it in this longitudinal or in-plane axis where you see your entire needle and you see it enter the vessel. Or you turn your probe perpendicular to the vessel and the needle, and then you follow it out of plane or in transverse view. Either way, you're using your probe to guide your needle tip, but you're doing them in very different ways. Now, the essential kind of aspect of out-of-plane transverse guidance, which every expert understands, and then basically no novice does, is that your ultrasound plane is a 2D structure. It's like a piece of paper. And how can you possibly use that to guide a needle, which is a, a long line? Well, you can only do it by ensuring that your plane of the beam stays right at the tip of it. That's how you guide the tip, which is what you're steering. It's like the the front of your car and not some other portion. It's no help to guide the center of the shaft or the back of your needle. And the problem is that the tip of your needle looks identical, by and large, on ultrasound to the rest of your needle. It's possible it could be slightly more echogenic or something. But you really can't look at a still frame of some part of someone's needle and say, oh, that's the tip or that's not. All you could say is that's some part of the needle. So the way that you correctly do out-of-plane guidance is you break the skin with your needle, and then you find your needle with your ultrasound beam, which means you bring it back towards you. You pull your probe towards the needle until you see some portion of it. Now, this may look like a little echogenic dot. That's what you hope. Sometimes you don't see that. Sometimes your view is not that good. Some combination of patient factors, maybe your technique and the quality and setup of your ultrasound, and you just don't see much of a dot. What you may see instead is tissue movement. In other words, the deflection of the tissue as you move your needle, which implies that it's like seeing smoke, there must be fire. If there is something moving that tissue, you can kind of hone in on where the center of that movement seems to be, and that is a a surrogate for seeing your needle. Whichever one you see, you now know that you're seeing some part of your needle. Some part. It could be any part. So step two of finding your needle tip is now to slide your probe 
the other way, forward away from you towards the tip. And then when you no longer see whatever it is you saw, a dot or movement or whatever, now you know you've left the needle. You're just past the tip, which might not seem like what you want, but it is. Because now, if you advance your needle, you will again see it. You'll break the plane of the ultrasound and you'll again see whatever you're seeing. Now, repeat the process. Slide your probe forward until you no longer see it. And you're gonna go back and forth between moving the probe and moving the needle in very small movements. I'm describing them like they're much larger, but literally this might be a millimeter at a time for each one, either sliding or, or fanning the probe forward and then advancing your needle. And what you're doing by this process is you're ensuring that your view stays either right at the tip of your needle or right in front of a tip in one of those two locations. Anywhere else, you don't know where it is. So if you advance your needle several millimeters, a centimeter, a few inches, and you don't move your probe, now you have no idea where your tip is. Even if you see some part of your needle on the screen, you don't know which part. And in fact, if you haven't been moving your probe, I can pretty much guarantee you it's not the tip. So I can watch someone do a procedure from the other side of the bed, not see the screen at all, and know that they're not looking at their tip because I've seen them advance their needle and not the ultrasound probe. This is the most common way people get these wrong. And the reason they get it wrong is because it, they don't, it doesn't look like they're not looking at their tip. On the ultrasound screen, they see something and it looks like a tip. So they think it must be. The only reason that they realize that they've gone awry is because they keep advancing their needle and then the dot never really moves on the screen. And then eventually they realize they've hubbed their needle, they're still looking at you know, somewhere near the skin, and then maybe it occurs to them to slide their probe forward, and then you see your needle go deeper and deeper on the screen, and when you finally find the tip, you realize it is far deeper than your vessel in some whole other structure. Even experienced operators will, quote, get ahead of their ultrasound sometimes. They advance their needle more than their probe, and then they're hopefully not too far from their tip, but they are ahead of it. They got impatient. The only way to do this really correctly is to scrupulously, every time you make a tiny advance of your needle, you then advance your probe until you're past your tip, and then you go and catch up with it. Once you've broken the plane of the ultrasound with your needle, you can no longer tell where you are. That's why you have to move your probe forward. Okay. So that's the, the most essential part of this to understand. If you're able to get into vessels without doing this, and people do this, peripheral IVs, big IJs, it's because the vessel is superficial enough and big enough that you could basically line up with it using ultrasound and then harpoon your needle forward and get it, even though you weren't guiding it in under real time. There may be a role for this sort of thing in some procedures, but that is not what is meant by real-time dynamic ultrasound guidance of a needle. Now, should you use an in-plane or longitudinal view of your needle, that actually avoids this whole issue because then you could see the entire needle on the screen. You are uh, trading lateral visualization for depth, and therefore you could see the entire needle. It is very uh, attractive and very easy to look at. This is an endless debate. I personally recommend using an out-of-plane approach, and this is the reason. It is not necessarily easier to do it in plane. Even though you avoid this challenge of guiding your needle tip, there are other challenges. It's quite hard to keep your probe, that very paper-thin slice, lined up with your very thin needle and then also with the vessel and keep everything in line. Also, you can't actually 
maneuver at all. So if you're not lined up to start, you're kind of out of luck. This is a, a way of ensuring that you are in the right plane and then knowing how deep to go. But if you're too far to the left or right, you have to start over. Um, so there are other challenges. Now, maybe it's a good tool for experienced users, though. Well, then again, I would say if you're going to learn only one skill, it should probably be a transverse view because I think it's more versatile. Brian and I have talked about this at other times, but I think there are some uh, portions of anatomy where it's hard to fit the probe in lengthwise. It's nice to be able to kind of steer and maneuver the way you can with a transverse view. Um, and you can't see any other anatomy when you're in line because um, all you can see is the vessel you're going for. So if you're only going to learn one thing, this is still not what I would learn. Now, if you're going to learn multiple skills, and at some point it may be reasonable to do, then sure, add it to your arsenal. There are times when it's helpful. Um, but you should probably start with just one technique, whether you're just learning or you've been doing this for a while, until you get really, really, really good at it. Okay, that had to be said. Let's get into a few other subtleties. What if you just can't see your needle? You're not getting a good view. Some things that will generally help you are, number one, tilting the probe more back towards you and towards your needle. This is actually regardless of how it's oriented, but sort of towing it in so that it is more perpendicular to the needle. Or you could say to the, the tip, the bevel of the needle, but either way, the best view you'll ever have of any structure, and this includes a needle, is when your ultrasound beam is at 90 degrees to it. An orthogonal or perpendicular angle of incination gives you the clearest view. When you're at more of a obtuse angle, you're losing some of that beam just off at the angle. So the more you can create a 90 degree angle, and it's usually not gonna be quite that, um, the better you'll be able to see. So try tilting it in towards you. Now, this does mean that as you advance, you won't be able to track the needle by fanning it forward because you'll lose that angle. You have to do more sliding it forward, trying to maintain the same angle you had. Number two, it is almost always gonna be easier to see your needle if you move it more. And what I mean by more is you move it briskly and jerkily, although not necessarily a lot. So as you advance, don't do it slowly and smoothly. That's the opposite of what you want. Very steady, slow advancing is actually really hard to see on ultrasound uh, because you're many times relying on that tissue movement I mentioned. And tissue movement is exacerbated when you kind of bounce at the tissue. So as soon as I enter the skin, I set up this continuous bouncing motion with the needle in and out along the axis, not left or right or anything the same axis as you're advancing with it, but just steadily as I'm resting, as I'm advancing, I'm constantly bobbing in and out, not by a great deal, by a few millimeters, but briskly, jerkily. That makes it much easier to see tissue. And then when I advance it as well, again, I do it kind of firmly, not a lot. I'm not saying to go three inches with a push because then you'll probably overshoot, but there's a difference between moving quickly and moving a great deal. So as soon as I'm in the skin, do a lot of quick movement. Number three, hardware issues. Make sure you have enough gel. If you have enough, adding more won't help, but if you're running out, it will. Make sure you know how to set up your machine. Um, fill your screen with the appropriate depth, uh, but no more. If you're working in the top third of your, your 
ultrasound machine screen, you're wasting uh, technology. Not only is it bigger if you reduce your depth, but it actually improves the ultrasound quality of your image. Make sure your gain is appropriately set. Some machines have a mode to help with needle tracking. Typically, this is only meant for guiding a needle in an in-plane view. It doesn't work at all when you're trying to transect your needle with the beam. The last thing I'll say is that when you're really having a hard time seeing, sometimes the lesson here is that you're just not going to win. Some patients, you're just not going to have success at that spot because sometimes it's very deep and then it's just always hard to see. You have to come in at some really steep angle and it's hard to get a good view or whatever. And sometimes the lesson here of the ultrasound is that you can go somewhere else. Unlike a blind stick when you'd have to find this by perforating the patient a bunch of times, here you can look and see what you're getting into. So, you know, I do a lot of subclavings under ultrasound, and that is a safe technique only if you're able to guide your needle because the lung is right behind the vessel. If you look at it and the vessel is hard to see and it's very deep and it's really close to the lung, don't stick it. Go somewhere else. Should you insert your needle with a syringe attached to it? For the most part, the answer is always yes, and uh, it's for multiple reasons. Uh, a safety reason is that Covering your needle um, means it's never open to air, at least except for a couple points when it must be, um, and it reduces the risk of air embolism in the rare patients who are at high risk for it. Um, a more practical reason is that, for the most part, it always makes the procedure easier. Now, some people say it is uh, physically more challenging because adding a syringe to the needle makes it more unwieldy. It is longer. Uh, you can't, for instance, hold the needle like a dart, rest your hand on the skin like you might do for an IV and stabilize it that way. You usually have to kind of hover it in the air. However, if visualization is difficult, you will never get feedback as clear and immediate of when you are in the lumen of the vessel as having a syringe attached under continuous aspirating pressure and then feeling it flash with blood. That is an incredibly useful thing particularly for more difficult lines. Again, it is arguably the standard of care and not real optional for center lines by and large, um, but I would apply this also to uh, arterial lines, peripheral IVs, and other things where it probably is, from a safety perspective, optional. But especially, again, if you're having trouble with it, I think it tends to help. It is very common to be right at, in the wall of a vessel and it looks like you're in, even with a reasonable ultrasound view, but you're not getting blood. If you're not getting blood, you're not in. And that's a really good thing to know, especially when you're troubleshooting, you have to adjust, you're right near the wall of the vessel. Um, knowing that you are able to get blood is 100% specific for you being in the lumen and not being able to is pretty much 100% sensitive for ruling it out. Now, as you are advancing yourself, towards the vessel under visualization in those little stair steps, there are a few things to consider. First of all, obviously, if you are not aiming at the vessel, you need to fix your course. Of course, that means moving the tail of your needle to the left if you want to aim more to the right. Of course, you should line up your screen so these directions do match. Now, I would be very scrupulous about this. It's not good enough to be aiming more or less at the vessel because if you are a little off, the more you advance, the more off you will become and the harder it will be to correct. So if you are really careful to target right at the 12 o'clock on that vessel, and then with each advance, you make sure you're still there, then when you reach it, you're going to be spot on. If you are at like 1230, then by the time you get to the vessel, you will have missed it completely. 
The other thing is that if you hit the vessel, but you are not right at the 12 o'clock, it is often hard to enter it. A lot of these vessels are kind of rolly and collapsing, and if you apply pressure off-center, you will just skim off to the side. So even if you're right there, I would, again, make sure you're absolutely lined up at the very roof of it, and then you'll have the best luck of entering. Now, it's also important to understand, as you change your course and adjust your angle, how to go about that. A needle is like a pool cue, or, gosh, if you fence like an epee or a foil, there's no edge. It's a point-only instrument. And what that means is if you want to change your angle, you can only do it in a thrusting way. You cannot miss the vessel and then try to side-swipe your way into it by just moving laterally. Needles don't go that way, and the best you can achieve by that, if you really tried, was to kind of chew up the edge of the vessel with the edge of the needle tip and lacerate it. That's not your goal. Your goal is to penetrate it with the tip. How do you do that? Well, if you've gone too far, you need to retract your needle, change your angle, and then re-advance. And this is true even if you haven't gone too far and you just need to change your angle somewhat. It gets harder and harder to adjust your angle the deeper you get into the tissue because so much of your needle is already bound up by tissue. So if you need big angle changes, always plan to retract your needle first, change your angle, and then re-advance linearly. Your advancing is always in a straight line. Now, when you change your angle, one caveat I'll give you is that it's always by more than you think. In other words, the amount you have to move your needle and your syringe to get the tip to actually change course on the screen, it always feels like much more than you'd expect. And I don't know why this is. I think maybe because the, the lever arm that you're creating uh, it is disadvantageous for this sort of movement. In other words, it's usually more lever outside the skin than inside, so you need a relatively big motion of the back of your syringe to get a small motion from it to be your needle. Whatever the case, you will find this to be true. You need to make a small adjustment. You're like, oh, I'll just move my hand half a centimeter, and then it didn't move at all on the screen. You have to move it like a foot and a half to get it to move a good amount. And sometimes this means that if you are way off, you just need to come all the way out and stick the skin again. You'll find these approaches where, for whatever reason, you stuck a, a decent ways off from centered on the vessel, and then you realize shortly after you get in, like, look, to actually aim at the vessel, I have to, like, lean my syringe against the patient. I have, like, come in from the side. And then even if you can actually get on course, it's all going to be crazy. By the time you get to the vessel, you're going to be coming in from, like, the side of it. Um, and I just don't know that you're going to end up with a wire and a catheter that lie correctly in that case. So sometimes just start over. This is very much like when you learn to drive your car and you learn to do a straight line backup. You know, one of the things you'll probably find there is that it is very easy if you line up straight and you back up straight and that's it. If you get off and you start to swerve and then you have to swerve the other way to correct it all goes south from there. So I actually take a lot of time and effort to really make sure I'm lined up dead center with my vessel and, of course, with my probe before I stick the skin. I line it up, I look at the screen, I look down, I look at the screen, I look down probably a good five, six times because it, things tend to move kind of in between. And if you are dead lined up, it will probably be really straightforward. If not, you're going to wish you had.
And this also means uh, usually contorting my body, um, getting kind of low, leaning over, so that I can really sight down perpendicular to my probe and see my angle. If it's kind of off to the side, then it's really hard to tell where you're sticking and also if it's angled off. What about going too deep, backwalling vessels or missing them? This is a really common way to go wrong. First of all, because as I said, it's common to overshoot your ultrasound and be deeper than you realized for everyone. But also sometimes because as you try to enter the vessel, you push, you push, and then when you do break through, you break through both walls and you end up through the deep wall. It happens. Um, it is probably okay. You know, some people learned to do arterial lines intentionally doing this, transfixing the vessel and then withdrawing. Um, I think that's not ideal when if you can put one hole into a vessel instead of two, that's better. But sometimes it is inevitable. Sometimes the vessel is so collapsible that you cannot apply enough pressure to enter it without coapting the two walls and going through. You can try to avoid this by using a flatter angle. Um, however, that may make it harder to actually break the wall. I have heard of people doing a little bit of rotating of the needle as they apply pressure, which may help kind of carve your way in. I don't haven't tried a lot of that, but it is out there. Um, and then ultimately, sometimes physiology helps. If you have a patient who's so hypovolemic intravascularly that every time they take a breath, their vessel completely collapses, every time you apply pressure, it collapses, try to increase that pressure. So if you're at, say, an IJ, put the head down more into a steeper Trendelenburg. Maybe you can give the patient some fluid, give them a bolus. If you're looking at these vessels ahead of your procedure and you see how collapsible they are, maybe fluid load them ahead of time. You know, They probably need that anyway if they're in shock and they need a line for pressors but it'll certainly help your procedure. Let's take a few minutes to talk about the different types of needles you have access to during a procedure like this. Um, most of these come as kits now, and most kits are at least somewhat similar. Um, the most important is probably gonna be your introducer needle, which is a thin wall needle, which is large enough to pass your guide wire through. Most commonly, this is a 18 gauge needle, uh, which will fit the guide wire from a central line kit. Um, and this is how I would generally access the actual vessel. Needle goes in the vessel, wire goes in the needle, and Seldinger on from there. Other needles you will find. There is usually a catheter over a needle or angiocath. This is just like a peripheral IV. There is a thin cannula that is over the outside of a needle. Needle kind of like the introducer, uh, but usually somewhat thinner. And overall, certainly with the cannula on, it creates a larger diameter device. Um, and then this is used for an alternate technique. So instead of entering the vessel with a syringe on the back of your needle, taking the syringe off and then passing the wire in, you enter the vessel, then you just slide the catheter into the vessel, take the needle out, and then you use that catheter for your guide wire. Um, maybe a topic for another day, whether it's a good technique. Uh, Brian and I have talked about it. I think it is at times handy. At other times, it is an excuse not to get good at the core technique of um, entering the vessel, stabilizing the needle, and then passing a wire into it. There are many lines where you cannot use this technique. Perhaps it's too deep or things like that. Um, the whole device is a little unwieldy and kind of tends to bend and is not that sharp. So, so I would not make it my favorite technique unless you're in a very specific situation, or perhaps you don't do these a lot and it works very well for you and you find it safe and useful. But maybe not for experts, but it is out there. And what I find it most useful for is the catheter. Being able to take that catheter off the needle, just slip it off, 
and then use it alone. Say you entered the vessel, but you're having issues. You need to fiddle with it. You can't advance your wire properly. You went in the wrong way. Your wire or your catheter deviated to the wrong vessel. You need to fiddle with it, rewire it. Doing all this with a needle held in place is very difficult and probably unsafe. But doing it with a catheter holding your spot in the vessel is very safe and convenient. So just taking that catheter, railroading it over your wire into the vessel. Now you can take your wire out. You can do whatever you want. You could measure the pressure in that vessel, do manometry with a transducer or with a fluid column or whatever, confirm that it's venous. You can do lots of stuff. Great troubleshooting device. Some people also like to play a game where they do, they used to call it the easy IJ, where you kind of just stick this into an IJ. It's so short, it's essentially just a peripheral IV, but the IJ is usually a, a good patent vessel. And if you need to kind of have rescue access for someone who has nothing, you can use that temporarily. And then I guess you could rewire it to a full center line or take it out. Um, I've never found that useful, but it is out there. You will also in most kits find at least one and usually two small bore needles, which are used mainly for lidocaine. Um, usually the smallest one is specifically intended for, for numbing the skin with lidocaine and the slightly longer, slightly larger one can be used for that, uh, but it may be labeled as a finder needle. And a, f a whole idea of a finder needle is kind of a relic of a non-ultrasound age. The idea was that you would go and try to find your vessel with this small needle, and then when you get flash, you uh, take your bigger needle and you slide it alongside that one into the vessel or some similar technique, but then you're not fishing around with a big needle. Most of us are not doing that anymore. But what I do find useful is using these sequentially for the numbing. You use the smallest one to just numb the skin. And the, the technique here, and it's important to get this right because most of the pain is right at the skin there. And if you numb too deep, you're not going to get good analgesia. Um, load lidocaine in your syringe, put the smallest needle on there, and then just insert the very tip of it, just the bevel of the needle under the skin. And the way to do this is at an absolutely flat angle, parallel to the skin. Hold the syringe underhand in your hand, uh, and then just slip barely under until you break the skin, and then raise a wheel. You should see a wheel come up, like a PPD. That's how you know you got good numbing right at the skin, right where you're going to puncture. Now, mind you, if you rethink it and puncture somewhere else, you probably have to numb there now. This is not a general effect. It's only right where you numbed. And if you, say, want to suture your line later, and you're suturing not in this spot, which is very possible, you got to numb there too, all right? Don't, don't get rushed. Don't pretend that somehow the lidocaine is reaching this spot like three centimeters away. Just take the time and numb wherever you're going to stick. Now, if you want to numb a deeper tract, then I use the larger needle for that. The thinnest one is, is too small to reach hardly anything. So I take the small needle off. I put the slightly larger one on. And then I do this in the same technique as I'm going to use for my uh, attempt to reach the vessel. So I have my lidocaine syringe on there. I follow it with ultrasound, entering at the same spot as I just numbed in the skin, track my way down to the vessel, injecting lidocaine every little bit until ideally I get right to the edge of the vessel without entering it and then numb the wall of it. And then you can come out and you can inject some more as you do. Um, that is a kind of practice run. 
which is good for people who are learning before they get their big needle in there. But it also numbs deeper. And the sub-Q is not that sensitive generally, but, but I think during dilation can have some sensitivity, and certainly for bigger vessels. And the vessel wall does have some sensitivity. So this is nice to do uh, if you can. You may have a micropuncture needle, which is um, in a way a part of a whole different technique, um, which is uses a smaller needle, actually maybe similar to one of those lidocaine needles, and then a smaller wire that fits into it, and then a dilator that inserts over that, which you can then insert your bigger wire into. Some kits come with this. More commonly, it is a separate kit. So if you want to start an access procedure with a micropuncture, you got to go grab one. There's a fair argument to be made that we should be doing that. It is probably safer in almost all cases because you're inserting with such a small needle. And there are a lot of situations where micropunctures really just save your bacon. Um, but it's probably a bit much to say that routine central lines should always be done with micropunctures. The other needle you may have in your kit is one that is solely meant to fill your syringe with lidocaine. If you have a multi-use vial of lidocaine there, you need a needle to access it. And sometimes even if you have like a breakaway ampule, they still give you a needle. Ideally, this is a blunt fill needle, which is relatively blunt, so you're less likely to stab yourself. Big, so it's easy to get stuff out and filtered in case there are glass shards. Um, even more ideally, there's no needle at all. And if you have something like an ampule, there is just like a straw. Uh, a big floppy straw you cannot possibly stab yourself with, usually also has a filter into it. I think that is actually ideal. But whatever they give you, be safe with it. I would not stick it into your bottle, holding it in your hand. Eventually, you're going to stab yourself. Leave the bottle in your tray and just stick it in from the top. And then I actually just leave my needle in that bottle after it is safe there. Unscrew it, take your syringe off. I like, as a matter of tidiness, unless I'm really doing a crash line, to go through my kit, take all my needles, whether I'm going to use them or not, uncap them, prepare them, and then just stick them into, usually they give you a little foam cup secured to the tray. That way I know all my sharps are in one place. I put my, uh, my scalpel there too, and um, if I have suture, then I put that there too. That way I just know there's no sharps floating around. This gets us to the question of safety, and we should always ask about safety if we're talking about needles. Anyone who's done this procedure enough times has eventually had a needle stick. You do not want this to be you, and if you do, you want it to take as long as possible. The most important thing you can do is to never leave your sharps floating around. Always, like I said, maybe start with them in your cup, and then when you put them down, put them back there. Do not set them down any old place. Most of all, not in the patient's bed. You will want to do this at some point. You just want to set something down for a second. My God, do not do it. You either stab yourself or the patient, or you will completely lose track of it, and someone's going to get stabbed an hour later because the nurse was changing the bed sheets or something. And it will be your fault, and I will not be impressed. Always put your sharps back in your tray, which should be unconnected to the bed, <laughs> off to the side, and then preferably in something like a protected cup. If you have a kit which does not give you a safe cup, or some of them, they give you one, but it's not secured, so it just falls over, which is less than useless, um, at least set your sharps down flat. And ideally, if you're not going to use it, just safe it if it's a safety needle. But if, if you really need to hold on to it, keep it flat, not at any kind of an angle, because that is, again, how you stick yourself. Do not bend your needles. Some people like to do with lidocaine. You do not need to do that for this procedure. 
keep them straight, bent needles are a great way to get stabbed. Okay, I think that is most of the important things we really have to say about needles. I will just end by circling back and reiterating the core point. If you get to the point where you have really mastered the ability to have an ultrasound probe in one hand and some kind of needle in the other and use the one to continuously guide the tip of a needle through tissue into a structure, then you will have basically mastered the placement of central lines, arterial lines, peripheral IVs, midlines, picks, and then many other percutaneous procedures like paracentesis, thoracentesis, and so on. If you do not master that, you will never, never truly have expertise with these procedures. You will be performing some kind of hybrid procedure where you kind of identify your site with the ultrasound, but you're not truly guiding yourself in. If you start to go for smaller, deeper vessels, many people realize this when they start doing things like uh, deep IVs and midlines and stuff, and then you realize that you're having a lot of trouble, it's because you have not been guiding yourself, really, truly. You've been doing a big IJs or something, and then you haven't really followed your tip the entire way. And you must do that for a deeper, smaller target. If you can truly say, I followed my needle tip the entire way, you can follow it around, you can steer, I can pick a spot and you can get yourself there. You can do almost anything. And it is a portable skill. It is the same basic skill for all of these procedures. And it is worth your time to learn. It is challenging. It is the one challenging skill here. It is a psychomotor tactile skill like shooting a basketball. It involves two hands. You can't have someone, I don't know, hold your probe while you use a needle or vice versa. It is a, a dance between your two hands back and forth. You will frequently lose track of your tip, repeat that procedure where you bounce, 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 bring your probe back towards you, find part of your needle, send your probe forward again until you find the tip. Now I got it. You relocate yourself. You are, you know, advancing your needle, you're advancing your probe. Now you kind of lost track of things. You got to come back up towards the skin again. You got to steer left and right. It is something that can be described, but to get good at, you have to just practice. The way to practice, place IVs. You will never do enough, I don't know, center lines to get really, really good at this unless you're in some kind of unusual practice setting. But you know what? There's a whole lot of IVs almost everywhere access is increasingly difficult for routine patients. There may or may not be someone else who can use the most relevant skill here, which is ultrasound guidance of an IV, maybe nurses can or a team. But even if it's available, and certainly if there's nobody else, you do it. Go around, place a bunch of IVs, maybe longer ones, medium, whatever, I don't care. That's the way to practice because there are a lot of them. They are safe and they are hard. These are small targets. And if you get to where you can routinely do these, especially, you know, in the upper arm where it's deep enough that you, you don't usually get it accidentally, which you sometimes can do in the forearm, then you've gotten good at this. And then I trust and believe I can send you into any room and you can get any needle in just about anything. Go forth and practice. Let me know how it goes. Talk to you next time.